Today on Ag News Daily. I really think that we're, we're pricing in a bigger crop than what the USDA is giving us right now in Delaney. I think the trade is starting to price in around 180, 181 bushel per acre corn. Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen. Happy Friday here on the Ag News Daily Podcast. Delaney Howell joined today by Ashton Carr. Ashton, how are you doing? How was your weekend? I'm doing fantastic. I had a pretty good weekend out here. I went to a sheep and goat jackpot out in Lubbock. So I uh, got to get back in the arena and see a couple of folks and watch some good sheep. Well, that is fantastic. And was it an in-person show then it sounds like? Yes, it was in-person and um, everything was pretty pretty well socially distanced in terms of pens and, and that kind of stuff. Everything, you know, was, was outside, um, pretty well ventilated area. Um, the arena doors, everything was open. So, uh, it, it was pretty good. I think they did a pretty good job and a few folks wearing masks, not everyone, of course, but, uh, yeah, it was pretty good. Well, I tell you what, I spent Friday afternoon, my parents came up and we're big state Iowa State Fair goers. And of course, they're not having state fairs this year, especially not the Iowa State Fair. But on Friday afternoon and really all weekend, I think the event was, but the Iowa State Fair put on a foods of the fair where you uh, basically got to go into the fairgrounds and sample or buy some of the foods you would normally get during the Iowa State Fair. So that was kind of fun to go on the fairgrounds. But I tell you what, it was weird to go onto our fairgrounds with, you know, a couple of food vendors. But really, this time of year, I think a lot of states, including Iowa, would be gearing up for their state fair season. So it was a little strange, eerie going on the grounds with not a lot of activity going on. Well, I, I certainly bet that it was, but uh, glad that those food vendors are able to get out and get a little bit of revenue. Yeah, absolutely. It was uh it was a good day to do some fair food testing, but I tell you what, we can't talk about food all day, although I certainly think I could. Ashton, what is going on in the news we should be aware of today? Well, I mean, this is a little bit of food news. I guess you can throw it in there, but uh, AgriBeef plans on opening a processing plant in South Central Idaho. The Boise-based company made the announcement later last week in Jerome, where a facility that can process up to 500 head per day will be constructed. And officials from the company say they are partnering with cattle producers in that region to form True West Beef, based on a strategy that provides a beef processing solution to recent production interruptions that challenged many companies in the wake of the COVID-19 pandemic. And they are um, associating with other brands with Agribeef, include, including Snake River Farms, Double R Ranch, and St. Helens Beef. And the Jerome plant is expected to create nearly 400 jobs in that region. Well, that is a good news. 400 jobs, I mean, that's a pretty substantial amount. Certainly is. Uh, what other headlines are you following, Delaney? Well, I think we talked about this last week, but I also wanted to just make sure I mentioned it again for our listeners, and we're going to talk about it here with Carl Setzer coming up here on our Market Monday episode. But of course, China continues to buy U.S. commodities. More specifically, last Thursday, they made another record-breaking U.S. corn purchase of about 1.937 million metric tons 
which I believe was about 80 million bushels of U.S. corn. And as far as a one-day sale goes, it's the largest daily sale on record for China in the USDA's reporting system and third highest of all nations at any time. So we're going to talk to Carl a little bit more about why that really didn't seem to do much to spark the markets higher. And I couldn't remember if we talked about that on the podcast last week, but I just wanted to set that up for some Market Monday that's going to be happening here in just a little bit. Well, I'm excited to see what Carl has to say about that. And uh, I have a follow-up for the packets of seeds that we have been following, and I have some answers for you guys. So as some of you listeners may know, we've been following this for the past week or so that China had mailed over some unsolicited packets of seeds to U.S. residents. They were told not to plant them, yada, yada, yada. Well, uh, some of these species of seeds have been identified from the USDA as herbs and other plants, including hibiscus and mint. So from what we know, they are not threats so far, but we are still keeping an eye on it, or not we, but rather the USDA, um, to make sure that these aren't a threat, but still advising people not to plant them, even though they are just herbs and other small flowers. Huh. So they're saying they're non-invasive species now, That it sounds like, or, or uh, non-threatening species, I should say. Yeah, non-threatening species. They have identified 14 of them, including mustard, cabbage, morning glories, and some other herbs um, like mint, sage, rosemary, lavender, and um, other flowers like hibiscus and roses. But uh, they're they're saying to still not plant them, even though they're non-invasive or seem non-threatening. They're keeping a close eye on them because we still don't know whether or not they are safe to plant. Did they give any indication of being able to trace where these seeds came from? I know, of course, everybody is saying China sent them over, but I don't know necessarily that that's something we're 100% sure on. I they, They're continuing to claim that these seeds are from China. They've been, I think, working a little bit with, of course, the Chinese foreign ministry and um, trying to just find the answers as to where they even came from and who sent them, whatever. But uh, I think that was their their main concern was to see if they were a threat to the U.S. Um, and our environment before they figured out where exactly this all started. Hmm. Okay, well, I'm glad you are keeping up with that story, Ashton. But I want to take the table back here to China, because as we keep talking about China's work production and their pork herd are recovering pretty quickly after African swine fever decimated their nation. Because of their quick recovery, USDA is putting out a new analysis or has just put out a new analysis that says because of their rapid pork production surge, they are expecting chicken consumption to slow back down in the country of China, which in turn they're anticipating will hurt U.S. chicken exports to China. Because as we watched African swine fever, we watched COVID, we watched a bunch of different fundamental events create the need for chicken in China. They're now saying it's going to be cooled off this year as pork producers recover from African swine fever. Their imports, for frame of reference, are expected to drop about 16% in 2021 compared to the year of 2020. But still, of course, we know that they lifted their five-year ban on U.S. poultry back in November, which helped with getting a rapid 
export of chicken over there, but uh, overall U.S. chicken exports to China will probably drop off. So for any poultry producers we have out there, might might want to be looking for some new marketplaces or just thinking ahead to what will happen for your marketplace once China does kind of step back away from the buying table. Absolutely. Going to have to keep an eye out on that. Delaney, are there any other news stories that you're following along with today? Well, I know, Ashton, you are still finishing setting up an interview with Secretary Grassley. I think you actually you might have already gotten that confirmed and it's in my email inbox. But uh, one other thing we need to make sure we talk to him about. I know we talked about it last week a little bit on the podcast, but a biofuels advocacy group is urging the IRS to offer tax credits for carbon dioxide captured for food and beverage purposes. Growth Energy specifically here has submitted comments to the IRS on a new proposed regulation on credits for carbon oxide sequestration. And they said the ethanol industry has more than 50% or excuse me, has more than 50 projects that on average capture about 99,000 to 153,000 tons of carbon dioxide annually And they're saying, let's incentivize this. Let's offer some sort of tax credit to folks that are working to clean up our environment. And uh, CEO of Growth Energy, Emily Score, said that it could be good for food and beverage industry folks, as well as other eligible commercial marketplaces for a carbon dioxide credit. And so they are calling upon Congress to consider this measure, help push things along with the IRS. But I believe it would have to be something voted on um, in Congress, if I'm not mistaken. So it would be a rule, I suppose, not a law um, that the IRS would then have to consider. So interesting, though, that I thought that they were going through the IRS to give a tax credit for that type of thing. That is very interesting, and I'm not too well-versed with the IRS or anything like that. But it's You don't want to be Ashton. You don't <laughs> want to be well-versed with the IRS. <laughs> no, certainly not. But uh, it's definitely something that we will have to ask Senator Grassley about. So I uh, jotted that down, and we'll get to talk to him here later this week. Fantastic. Well, Ashton, do you have any other news for today? I don't. Do you want to go ahead and jump into the markets? Yes, let's chat markets. Well, Ashton, as I mentioned there earlier in the news segment, we did see China step in last week and buy quite a bit of U.S. corn, which was supportive uh, shortly last week and into today. The September corn contract finished up a penny and a half, tickles at 3.17 and a quarter, while the December put on just a penny, tickles at 3.28 even. In the soybean pits, the August contract shed three quarters of a cent, tickles at 8.96 and three quarters. The November new crop contract put on three cents today, tickles at 8.95 and a half. In the Chicago wheat pits, the September contract shed nine and a half cents, tickles at 5.21 and three quarters. The December down nine and a half cents, tickles at 5.29 and a quarter. In the livestock pits, we saw green in the cattle complex with the August contract adding 20 cents today to close at 103.02 and a half. The October up 40 cents to close at 108.27. In the August 
feeder cattle pits up 20 cents on the day as well to close at 144.87 and a half. The September put on 85 cents to close at 147.07 and a half. In the lean hog pits, red weakness today, which we will chat with Carl Setzer about here in just a minute. So do stay tuned. In the meantime, the August contract down two dollars and twelve and a half cents to close at forty nine eighty seven and a half. Well, the October down a dollar twenty two and a half to close at forty eight forty. And rounding out our markets with the dairy class three milk futures, we saw the July contract shed two cents on the day to close at twenty four fifty three. The August shed seventy five cents to close at twenty twenty eight. Without further ado, let's kick it over to our conversation with Carl Setzer. Well, as promised today, we are talking with Carl Setzer of AgriVisor, a commodity risk analyst over there. Also, the better half of goddess of grain, Angie Setzer. No, just kidding, Carl. Don't tell Angie I said that. (laughs) It's true, though. (laughs) Well, we are certainly excited to have you on today, Carl. You are up there in the Wisconsin, or excuse me, the Michigan area. I almost said Wisconsin. Tell us, how are crops looking out your way? You know, Delaney, they they looked really good. Um, They have really perked up here in the last, you know, three weeks, which the crop ratings a little bit behind where we actually were. Um, I've traveled through quite a bit of the crop production area in the past two weeks. And, you know, from where we started July, when we had that big time heat coming through, um, we've gotten some timely rains, some cooler temperatures. These crops are looking a lot better today. Um, we're a lot more optimistic over what we're going to get for production. And, you know, with that, farmers have been in a little bit better mood. They've been marketing a little bit more of their crop, especially on these rebounds we've been having in the, in the uh, futures market. Yeah, and I want to talk about those rebounds because we've seen now corn have a few days, small gains on the day. But the thing that I really wanted to pick your brain about was we saw China buy nearly 80 million bushels of corn last week. And yet the market really didn't do a whole lot to react. I think it was up, you know, briefly three cents on the day. So it's slowly making the grind higher. But it poses the question, is is China stepping in to buy going to be enough to spark this market higher? You know, I, I think it's it's putting a floor under the market right now, Delaney. The the thing we have to look at is is China, their new crop purchases, you know, is at 225 million bushels right now. Um, their yearly projection to buy from the United States is 275 million bushels. So the question that we're getting is, you know, is China front loading all of their purchases and we're going to see them drop off once they get close to that 275 bushel mark or will they keep going? And that is what trade is really, you know, sitting back looking at right now. And we also have to look, you go back to the July supply and demand numbers that came out. Uh, new crop exports projected to increase 375 million bushels from old crop. So we need China or somebody in making huge purchases from us, such as they have been. And the concern is, is when you look at buyers other than China, our sales really aren't that spectacular. So the combination of all those factors together, it's supportive for the market, but it's really hard to get us to rally from where we're at right now. 
is Chinese buying really going to be, or, or any demand, I should say, not just China, but is that really what it's going to take here to break out one way or the other? I guess the lack of demand maybe could spark us to the downside. Yeah, and, and the thing is that we're looking at, you know, we're looking at the, the buying that's taken place. We're looking at the ethanol. Um, you know, you go back to the production numbers and our carryout was expected to increase from old crop to new crop, even with a normal production season. And with this elevated demand we've seen, now all of a sudden we're starting to see yields come in. You know, the USDA is using 178.5 bushels per acre in balance sheets. We have some privates coming in that are almost four bushels per acre higher than that. And if that starts to verify, the demand we're seeing, albeit good, isn't going to be enough to keep our carryout from building. That's what we're looking at right now. Yeah, I think that's crazy. I've also heard some rumors of higher national yield. Paint the paint the picture for us, Carl. If we do come in higher than a one seventy eight point five, what's that going to do? You mentioned higher carryout, but what's that going to do for our price action? You know, it. it I really think that we're we're pricing in a bigger crop than what the USDA is giving us right now, Delaney. I think that. Trade is starting to price in around 180, 181 bushel per acre corn. Um, you know, and that's got our new crop futures down to that 325, 330 mark right in there is where we've been trading on December corn. It's really hard to pressure that market much further than that. Even when we were talking a, you know, a 3.3 billion bushel carryout, which I find it hard to believe we go back to that figure, but you know we're on the lower end of our price uh, price spectrum, and as we get price, you know futures much lower than they are, we start to see that demand from others pick up. Our ethanol starts to build a little bit, our feed demand will start to increase a little bit, uh, more foreign buyers step up, and with prices that low, you don't see the huge expansion in South America. And their weather is a you know a whole nother topic we could go into. But if you look at the charts and the balance sheets and add it all together, you get the feel that we're in a market that's on the low end of the price spectrum, at least for now. I'm gonna prod you a little little bit more here, Carl. If we're on the low end of the price spectrum, what does that mean for for some potential upside? Well, I mean, what do you see as the ceiling for this market? You know, we have to be realistic and, you know, to sit here and say that we're going to rally this market back to, you know, $5 seems very unlikely. Um, you know, we have to keep all things considered and, you know, our price equivalents. And it's really hard to dial in an upside because, you know, we do have quite a bit of the growing season left. We can make or break a crop in August and September if something, you know, develops weather-wise. If we don't see that, you know, that four, you know, I mean, four dollars might be a bit of a stretch, four to four and a quarter. That might be the very top end that we get on new crop values. Um, you know, we've been range bound here for the last few years. And you got to remember, the USDA is only projecting an average cash value of 335 for the next marketing year. So uh, to see us get, you know, you know, huge increases seems unlikely, just the same as the downside. Uh, 
to see a flat cash market for the whole marketing year wouldn't be too much of a surprise, really. Carl, what are you expecting to see in the soybean markets? I know usually this is about the time that soybeans would be making their summer highs. Do you expect that to hold true this year? You know, the soy complex is is really a strange animal right now, Delaney. And we've seen some support. We've seen, uh, you know, soybeans, the funds just do not want to, to go short at soy complex. They continue to make small purchases. They continue to add to their long side. Um, that is putting a floor under that market. The, the big unknown in soybeans right now is, and we have the same as corn, we've seen huge demand from China. Um, you know, 331 million bushels of sales on the books to China, a record for this time of year. But the same as with corn, if we take away China, we don't have much else on the books for other buyers. So that's the concern we see is what happens if China fills their quota and then walks away from us. Uh, you know, I think China is a little bit more aggressive on their soybean needs. And I do think that the buying to them continues a little bit longer than it probably will for corn. But we got South America sitting down here and they're going to start their planting season in another four weeks here. And, you know, we're seeing these numbers come out 131, possibly million metric ton soybean crop this coming year. If we look at that and look at what they produced this year and last year, that gives them about an extra six to eight weeks supply of soybeans that they can export. Really shortens up that price window that the United States can make sales in. Um, I do think that there's a lot of potential for soybeans because the global market wants soy products. They, they need the product. Um, you know, especially China. As China rebuilds their hog herd, they're going to be looking for more soybeans from pretty much from any buyer they can get them from. Uh, you know, as far as price-wise, when we look at soybeans, I think there's a little bit more optimism there. But the same as with corn, uh, you know, we flirt around with this $9 mark. And bottom line, we're in a, a $9 market from here all the way out to November of 21. Uh, to see that market really take off from there, we're going to have to see a big loss in South American production to get us much, you know, to get us much above that 925 to 950 mark. Um, same thing, I think our bottom side is probably priced in. We have a hard time breaking that complex much below 875 to 850. So the the range we're looking at here for soybeans is about 850 to nine and a quarter. It sounds like Carl. All things considered, right now, Delaney, I would say that we probably hug that you know that range, and you know unless we get something you know big shaking up in that mm-hmm. South American market, it's going to be tough to get outside that. Carl, what about when you turn your attention to the Chicago wheat contract? They were down on the day pretty substantially today, but they uh, seem to be kind of all over the place, like they can't find their their footing. You know, you're right, Delaney. And the the thing is with wheat is we sit here and we look at it and, uh, you know, wheat tries to rally and it does and then it breaks apart. And that is such a global crop. We had a rebound in the U.S. dollar today. That started to soften up wheat a little bit. Uh, and then you get forecasts out that you're going to see a larger crop in Russia, that their their crop is a little bit better. 
Australia is going to put out their biggest wheat crop in the past three to four years. Uh, U.S. yields that spring spring harvest is starting to advance. A lot of potential there for a big crop. So when you throw all these together, the odds of global wheat production increasing in adequate stocks are, are, are pretty adequate and pretty high. At the same time, we got to look at how much of that wheat, you know, what it will be used for. Um, you know, there's a high volume of that wheat is gonna, not going to make milling quality. It's going to be feed quality or less, which has put a little bit of, back, of pressure back on the corn. But you got this big wheat crop and you don't know what it can be used for yet. So you see traders walk away like they did today. Um, you know, wheat, it's going to trade back and forth, back and forth. We got to look at the price range on that, Delaney. And I'll tell you, we get down around that 475, 480 mark and we get buyers that surface. And then we rally up to that 550 mark and we see sellers jump in and we just get whipsawed back and forth. That's been the pattern of that complex. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised if we see that continue at least for the next, you know, three or four months if not longer. All right, let's turn our attention to talking the cattle complex. Let's talk specifically here live cattle. They just keep, seem to keep chugging right along. What are you looking at here for a new range or a new ceiling in the live cattle? Let's talk October contract in particular. You know, looking at that that October cattle contract and seeing what we have go on there, you know, that, that $100 mark has really put a floor under it and given us some support. We see big, uh, you know, we see demand build at that. Our cattle on feed numbers are starting to jump up a little bit. That's mostly coming because we have these low or uh, high placement numbers have started to build because of the poor pasture conditions. Our cold storage numbers have been friendly. All things considered, we do have a friendly cattle market looking at us, but we do have also at the same time a cattle inventory that's, you know, quite high compared to recent history. We get about, you know, much below that $100 mark. Like I said, we see buying that brings us right back in, but then we start to get around that $120, $130 cattle. And, and you know, we're all of a sudden at record highs and we start to see selling start to take place. That That's really hinging a lot more um, cattle and, and the hog contract on the COVID reaction to see what consumers want to do. We got consumer confidence that's at record lows. Um, you know, we're not going to see going after them prime cuts of meat. We're going to see lower grade going out the door. And and that's what's really getting that cattle complex shook up right now. I, I think we have strength in cattle, but to see huge gains right now, Delaney, it, it's pretty tough to get them to work much higher until we can get the consumer base to come back in. And with reports of restaurants closing back down, that's really not solidifying that move at all. Well, you know, and you talk about that consumers aren't necessarily as willing to go out and buy maybe higher quality cuts of meat. So usually, in my mind, at least when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking, okay, I'm going to buy something cheaper. I'm going to buy maybe a cut of pork. But that it really hasn't been supportive for the lean hog market either. No, the the, the hogs just really struggle here. Um, you know, we had big losses today, back down another dollar twenty. You're sitting looking at that that uh, October contract in December down thirty cents. The thing is, is, we're getting our packing numbers back to order, 
And and actually, our hog slaughter last week was up 196,000 head from a week or a year ago, the same week. But we got to look there at we got just a huge supply of hogs sitting in front of them packing plants waiting to be worked through. And and until we can get that out of the way, you know, it's going to be tough to really get that market to take off to the upside. What What's the biggest thing for hogs, like I said, is the expansion we've seen in the United States, the number of hogs that we have waiting to be processed. We have a huge pork supply. Um, you know, we've got record demand and we're still seeing our hog inventory build. That's not a good sign for down the road. No, it certainly isn't. Carl, we'll have to have you on down the road. But before I let you go, remind our listeners how they can get in contact with you on social media or otherwise. The best way to get a hold of me, Delaney, shoot me an email at ksetzer at agrivisor.com or text markets markets to 42828 and we can get a response to you that way as well. Fantastic. Well, Carl Setzer, thank you so much for chat markets today. Thanks for having me, Delaney. Well, again, a big thank you there to Carl Setzer for coming on the podcast today. And of course, if you're not following him on social media, you can do so at K Setzer Grains. But you should also, while you're on Twitter, make sure you're following Ag News Daily if you're not already doing so at Ag News Daily on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. You can find us all there. But with that, Ashton, should we let the people go? Let's let them go.